0: Welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. Welcome to this special guest episode of First Incision, where we're lucky enough today to have Dr. Sarah Dalton with us. Dr. Dalton is a paediatric emergency physician and also works as a coach. She reached out to me to do an episode for the podcast where we could talk a little bit around maximizing performance in order to get the most out of your fellowship exam. I had a really great time talking to Dr. Dalton, and I hope you get something out of it that you can use towards performing your best in the exam. So just a little bit for our listeners. Today, obviously, we have you, Dr. Sarah Dalton, with us, and you're, from what I understand, a paediatric emergency physician, and we were going to have a bit of an episode talking around exam performance and what trainees could do to identify and manage stress and maximise their performance on the day of the exam.
1: So I was hoping to start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks very much, Amanda. I do work in an emergency department, a children's emergency department. And I actually just do that one day a week now because the rest of the time I have a leadership role in New South Wales Health. But I've been working in clinical roles for over 25 years. Um, I've done a lot of exams, I've done a lot of interviews, which I think actually is similar to an exam. And I've worked with so many trainees who are doing exams and interviews. So that got me really interested in how do you how do we do that well ourselves and how do we support other people to do that? And through that, I got really interested in coaching and I ended up learning how to be a coach. And now I offer coaching to trainees who are trying to do some of those really difficult hurdles like getting through an exam.
0: Fantastic. Um, a little bit of context for you. Obviously, being a paediatric emergency physician, you may not know a lot about what we are Looking forward to, uh, which is our fellowship exam. This is an exam um, that's run over, as a written and a clinical. So the written's over two days, and the clinical is over three days with um, two components on the first two days and one in the second. Um, and it covers a really massive breadth of knowledge, and the questioning is. Probably similar to most other exams, we have some sort of OSCE type situations where we used to have patients and talk about how we'd examine them and come up with the diagnosis. And then we also have a pathophysiology, anatomy and operative exam as well. So in your experience working with trainees, what are some of the main issues that they raise with you in the lead up to the exams around um, their worries or their issues with performance in their examination?
1: I think the first thing is that everybody worries about their performance in the (laughs) examination. I mean, that's why we're here, right? And and exams do that. That level of stress is there for everyone. So importantly, I think we have to recognise that everybody feels that to some extent. Having said that, some people feel it more than others and some people um, are concerned enough or conscious enough that it's a significant challenge for them that they reach out for additional support. I do think that mindset is important in exam preparation, no matter what you're preparing for or how good you think you are. And it's something that we don't really talk about. And as doctors, you probably haven't spent enough time thinking about how did I do that and what is my mindset? But ultimately, I think it comes down to anxiety for everybody. It's it's what, what happens if I don't pass? What happens if I don't get a question that I know the answer to? What if I panic? What if something happens that wasn't expected? mostly it's the what ifs, like worst case scenario things that people get a bit mm-hmm. paralysed with. And then people who are doing those things quite well, when they've got over that, they start thinking about, well, how can I be my best? You know, perhaps I've got over the anxiety now and I feel okay about fronting up to the exam, but there's some stuff that I just want to do better. Like I want to be able to answer the question really comprehensively, or I want to be able to speak without saying um all the time or I'd like to be able to be more succinct and summarize my answers rather than just rattling off lists from them in my head. So, there's lots of different things, but I think it probably comes down to either being prepared enough to not feel too anxious, and then once you've got over that, to be able to deliver the information in a way that makes you feel like you really are doing your best work. Personally,
0: I definitely feel anxious about the exam. I think it would be unusual not to be. It's such a big hurdle, and it's something that we work towards for so long. It's only run twice a year. And I think there's a lot of pressure. Surgical registrars put a lot of pressure on themselves to want to pass that first time. Is there advice that you have for trainees around managing that anxiety in that, you know, probably earlier stage when you're looking at this huge curriculum thinking, how
1: am I going to do this? And what if I don't pass? The first thing I always ask people is think about a time where you've had a challenge before and you've got through it. And all of us have had those challenges. Yeah, it might be that you haven't passed exams before, but it might be you've flown through all your exams because a lot of people have when they're in these high-level training positions. But mostly people have had some kind of a challenge that they've had to get through. And we all have our own different ways of coping. You know, you wouldn't be here doing a surgical fellowship exam if you didn't know how to cope with pressure and you didn't know how to manage anxiety. But it might be about taking the learnings that you have, like how do you how do you prepare yourself for a big operation that you haven't done before and you know you're not going to have your supervisor there? And how do you take some of those lessons, the way you do that in your day-to-day work, and translate that into preparing for an exam. So, I usually ask people, what do you know about yourself and what you do to overcome that? Or is there another part of your life where you've been able to rise above the pressure and anxiety and what did you do then? Because ultimately, coaching is about helping people understand their own solutions rather than saying, this is what you're going to do and this is going to work.
0: Mm. I um, was lucky enough to work with a coach in the lead up to my surgical interview. Um, And one of the things that they talked about was trying, you know, almost mindfulness really practice in that those thoughts of, oh, can I do this? And that sort of paralyzing fear sometimes where you're looking at this huge body of work and thinking, where do I start? Is not really working for you. It's working against you and acknowledging that those feelings are sort of normal and letting them go and then focusing on those little bite-sized pieces of um, of work. I found that quite useful, especially when I first started looking at the curriculum for this exam.
1: Yeah. I think, um, look, honestly, a lot of what I end up talking to people about is how do you become your own internal coach instead of your own internal critic? Because when you're anxious about things, your brain will tell you all this stuff about you can't do this and you don't even deserve to be here and look at all those other people who are better than you and you stand outside the door and you think, oh, my God, if I walk in there and there's a blah, blah, then I'm just going to completely lose it. You know, you naturally have this kind of negative mindset. One of the things that I often talk to people about, and it sounds a bit cliche, but you'll remember it, which is why I'll tell you, is there's a huge technique around turning your ants into pets, which means turning your automatic negative thoughts into performance-enhancing thoughts. So instead of thinking, oh, I'm so nervous and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do and, oh God, what am I going to do now? Because I'm nervous and when I get nervous, I can't speak properly. And if I can't speak properly, I won't be able to show them what I know and then I'm going to fail and I don't even know why I'm here. That shame spiral, which we'll come back to because that's the hardest thing for everybody. But how do you turn that into something in a critic doesn't say but your inner coach might say which is pretty much what you were telling me just now it's okay to feel nervous I have felt nervous before everyone feels nervous in the situation nervousness will help me focus and pay attention and do my best and I know how to manage this because I've done the work and I've got the experience so yeah I'm nervous but actually this is going to be the chance for me to shine and show them what I know because I deserve to pass this exam and it's hard to do that and it's really hard to feel it authentically, but that's what you have to practice leading up to the exam. How can you turn your automatic negative spiral into some kind of performance enhancing thought? Mm, that's a really interesting
0: perspective. Probably, I feel probably something you'd
1: have to practice enough to make that automatic in the moment. I think that's right. And, and actually, that's why I say we don't spend enough time in practicing for exams, practicing our mindset. We practice what are the top five diagnoses here or what is the right approach to answering a question about prophylaxis, but we don't actually practice how am I going to answer a question I don't know the answer to or what do I do to pick myself up when I realize I've made a mistake. And that actually reminds me of a podcast I recently listened to, which was Ash Barty's Mindset Coach. And I'm wondering if you've listened to it, but if you did, he spoke a lot about how, how do you turn yourself around when something's gone wrong? And anyone who knows tennis and watches tennis, it reminds me a lot of an exam, right? There's just so many points that you, that you get and so many points that you lose and you are going to lose points, but it's about whether you can you know, come out at the end as a winner. Mm, Yeah,
0: I've definitely listened to that episode. I'll put uh, a link to that in the show notes if anybody else is interested in listening to it. There was a number of um, aspects from that conversation with Ben Crow Ashbody's coach that I really thought resonated with me. Specifically, he talked about what you've just mentioned, like using your mindset and manipulating your mindset and how you view your situation to make it work for you. And he said um, that that was a real superpower. And I think, you know, being able to harness the power of your thoughts and how you approach things to make it more positive and make you feel more confident is, you know, really is a superpower when you think about it. The mind is so amazing. And the other thing I thought was really interesting that he talked about was, separating your self-worth from whether you win or lose or pass or fail an exam. Your self-worth isn't actually related to whether you fail this exam. There's plenty of amazing surgeons that have failed exams before and sat again and and have amazing careers. So we put so much um, stress and weight on this one thing, but it doesn't actually define who you are or how good a surgeon you might be in the future. I totally agree
1: with that. I thought that was a really resounding message from his podcast. He talks about a human being, not human doing, mm. and you know, the concept of who you are and what you stand for and what you care about you know, you are bigger than this task, you are bigger than passing this one exam. And of course, it's important, but if you can tap back into who you are and what you care about and what matters, those things don't go away whether you pass or fail the exam. Not to say it won't be difficult, but if you can tap into all those things that matter to you as a person then you can rise above it and the exam is one task on a list of many tasks that you will complete in your life yeah um the other thing i thought was really good was he talked about
0: letting go of the things that are outside of your control mm. I'm sure there's only a couple of uh, surgical registrars that are type a personalities and like to control everything <laughs> um, but uh you know whether you pass or fail is out of your control but all those little tasks like, you know, that half an hour that you spent doing that written question when you got home late and you were tired after a, you know, full day of operating or planning out and sticking to
1: a timetable, like those little things are in your control. And I really like that approach that he was talking about. I agree. He said a few times you can control your decisions, but you can't control your conditions. And don't let yourself be distracted by the conditions. Focus on what you can control, which is your mindset. Mm. So, coming back to what you've said, like we all want to try and stay in control, to me, that's what makes this so important because the only thing you can control on the day is your mindset. You can't control how much study you've done up until that time or how many practice cases you've done. You can't control who the examiners are or what case there is. The only thing you can control is how well you can stay calm and answer the questions and show them what you're there to do and why you deserve to pass. And you can be your best friend in that situation because you're the one that makes the decisions that controls your mindset, but you have to practice it before. I always talk about it being a positive muscle and you need to practice the positive muscle, otherwise the negative muscle, which is that inner critic just kicks in so strongly unless you've been doing the work to practice the positive one.
0: So coming back to that controlling your mindset on the day, something that I've found really difficult in the past is if say I'm answering a question and I feel like I've I've completely bombed it. You know, I think, oh, I didn't know the answer or I why did I say that thing and I've dug myself the hole and the bell goes and you move on to the next station. You know, what approaches would you have for trying to let go of that negative feeling and reset and start that next station afresh, you know, try to salvage the situation.
1: In a minute, I'm going to ask you, Amanda, what you've done and what you think about that, because that's the way that a coach would work. You would have thought about this, and you would have tried this before. so i'll I'll share with you what we talk about, but I'm also interested to know what you do in that situation. I, I think ultimately, it's everything we just said. it's it's letting yourself acknowledge that this is going to happen. You know you're not going to win every point in the match. There are going to be things that get dropped. So acknowledging that that wasn't what you wanted it to be. but then, that doesn't control your future. That doesn't control the next thing that happens. And the best way you can control the next thing that happens is to tap into a place, whatever that is. And I think that really Ash Barty's mindset coach talks about a happy place one way or the other, whether it's a word or a person or an emotion or a feeling, tap into something that will lift you up that's the bit I think you have to think about beforehand but it's almost like that Pavlovian learned response you know like when you're when you're riding a bike and you wobble you have this natural instinct to rebalance so you have to practice when you when you hit the bottom what's your natural instinct going to be your mantra the thing you say to yourself or what what physical or mental response do you want to learn so that when it happens on the day you've already decided okay what I decided was I was going to take a deep breath. I was going to tell myself, you've got this, I can control what happens next, and then you move on, or whatever it is that you've decided beforehand is going to be your response. So what do you think? What do you do? I mean, for
0: my interview, and this is going to sound really silly, but there's a TED talk about power posing. Mm-hmm. So my superwoman situation where you've got your hands on your hips and you puff your chest out and you feel like you are filling a bigger physical space and you feel powerful and, and strong and reset and confident. And that worked well for the interview because you walked out of the room before you went into the next room in between each station, but might be a little bit tricky to do when you're in the same room with the examiners for the whole time in the fellowship exam. So I'll have to come up with a different mantra, I think.
1: No, but the thing is that you've reminded me is people have very different ways of of responding to this and things that work for them. And it really is very different for everyone. When I think about the people who I've coached, some some people have a mantra, you know, you've got this is a really common one. People like to practice, you've got this, I deserve to pass because, or I'm going to pass because. Some people like to have a physical response, which they learn and, you know, that literally taking a breath in and out might seem like it takes a long time, but it really doesn't take that long. And if you just think about it and do it because you can't really think about it without doing it, it does make you feel better. So some people choose that. Someone I worked with really wanted the sense of comfort and so she decided that she would hold her own hand and she practiced beforehand going to a place that she felt really calm can't remember if it was her garden or down near the water and she would just take some deep breaths and hold her hands in a pose that would help her feel calm. And then on the day, if anything went wrong, that was her plan. She was going to hold her hand that way and she was going to take a deep breath and thinking of being in that happy place. So whatever it is, it can be a word or a song or a a visual thing. Just have something up your sleeve that you can pull out when you need it because you probably will need it.
0: Yes. And practice it beforehand. So it's there when you need it. Mm -hmm. I was mentioning before we started talking that um, I did my first Ironman last year and I did a lot of mental preparation for when I would get, they kept talking about these dark times that you would have on the day, you know, you'd get into a real slump and what you had to do to get out of it. And my sister wrote on my my aero bars for the for the long bike ride. um, It's a hill, get over it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And the names of a few songs that we'd used a lot in training that were really motivational. So I get one of them stuck in my head. So um, you know we practiced that in training and uh, had something to look at, and that was really handy. So again, um, you know, I guess a similar thing, just making sure you have a plan for those
1: times when you might need it. It's really good to think about for everybody, where have you had to learn a way to get through something? And everyone will probably have something different, but hundred percent think about what you've done in other situations and see how you can apply it. You know, for me, I I haven't done Ironman, but I've done a marathon and they talk about the wall and you have to think about how are you going to get through the wall. And the thing is that, you know, when people go running, they, they practice running and I'm not a very good runner, but some people have great running techniques, but you actually talk about this what are you going to do when you hit the wall? How are you going to hold yourself up? What are you going to do next? And that's the bit we haven't really done in medicine and in our exams. Mm. We don't necessarily talk about that, you know, but for me in the exam, uh, it, it was about if something went wrong, I've just got to get through the next five minutes and then I'll be okay. And so in that reminds me of when I was preparing for the marathon, you just think about, okay, just wait for five minutes. Don't think about the next hour. Just go through five minutes. Like Put it down into that chunk size that you can you can actually deal with. Whatever it is, everyone will have ways of just keeping on. And that's what you need to translate into how you're going to do that on the day of the exam. The other thing um, I thought was
0: interesting from that ABC
1: Conversations podcast was he talked about
0: connection. And I think whenever you are thinking about a huge exam like this and, um, you know, lead up to it, I think it's important to think about the support and, and connections that you have in your life. He talked about Ashbardi having a lot of dogs that were all named after uh, coffees like Chino, which I thought was adorable. Um, and also, a connection to nature. Is that something you usually uh, talk to your trainees about, you know, making sure that they have people around them that they can talk to and other outlets to get away from that stress and
1: study of the exam? Definitely. And the thing that also reminded me from the podcast is he talks about what it's like to be an individual competitor but also that actually you're there on behalf of your team. And I think that it's really worth considering who's on your team in passing the exam because all of us, if we're lucky, have more than just ourselves on this journey, right? Whether it's friends or parents or partners or colleagues or dogs (laughs) or neighbours or the local coffee shop barista, we all have people on our team. And so I think it's really worth considering that in terms of who else is going with you on the journey? And then when you're there on the day, those are the things that pull you through. And and the other thing he talked about was having a concept of dedicating what you're doing to someone or having someone in mind when you do your work, because that also rises up and helps you get above the immediate stress of the thing that just went wrong.
0: What are some of the other things that trainees come to you to talk about that they experience or common things that you come across in relationship to trainees preparing for their exams?
1: Look, I think it's the things you experience in life. You know, there's nothing different about an exam. It's a stressful situation where you're being asked to perform and so it's whatever happens to you under those conditions. I think there's the general anxiety in preparing for the exam and then the general like standing outside the door wondering what's in there kind of thing which everyone can relate to and having a way of managing that general stress. I think the other three areas that people talk a lot about, number one is the shame spiral that we talked about where something goes wrong and you literally just lose it because it's not just bad, it's like, oh, how could I have done that? Like you realize the x-ray was back to front, or you realize that you said the left when you meant the right, or you know, something, maybe that's not a big deal, but something where you just made a stupid mistake and then you just can't get over it. And then how do you pull yourself out of that spiral? So we've talked about that a bit. The other thing that people often talk to me about is what do I do if I if I can't answer the question or I don't know what they're asking or the way they've asked the question is just so broad, there's like thousands of things going through my head and I don't know where to start. So, probably those two areas, like what do I do if I don't know the answer? And then also, how do I give a a structured, sensible answer to a big question is something that comes up a lot. Mm. And so,
0: in terms of not knowing the answer to a question, do you usually suggest that, you try and present some sort of structure and say what you might and hope that things sort of come to you as you go? Or do you suggest people are honest and say, you know, I not, I don't know, could we move on to the next question? Or what would your sort of advice be? I
1: think that the answer is going to depend on the question, obviously, and the situation. But the more you can put yourself in scenarios to practice it beforehand, the better. But in general, one thing that usually gets you out of jail is having a couple of memorised, I call them starter sentences, mm-hmm. a couple of things that you can just start saying because some people very commonly just have that frozen moment. We, we all do different things when we're anxious. Some people talk very quickly and say a whole lot of stuff that doesn't really make much sense and they keep going because they're looking at the person to say, well, let tell me to stop now because I'm, you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some people say Nothing. I, I worked with one trainee who said every time I got a difficult question, I just stare at the wall and didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to look stupid. So, everyone's different. So, the concept of a starter sentence is also something you can learn and practice. And by that, there's, a, there's probably one really key technique, which is a media technique that I was taught a long time ago, how to, di- how to deal with a diffi- difficult question. And luckily enough, it's just A, B, C bit different to the ABC that we talk about acknowledge bridge and communicate your main message so acknowledge is acknowledge the question and if you need to acknowledge that you don't immediately know the answer then that's okay but that's you'll notice politicians do things like oh that's a very good question Amanda (laughs) you know like you're acknowledging the question but then you bridge or segue into a message that you want to communicate now, if you do it badly, it looks awful. You know, you're asking me about Kovacs, and I say that's a great question, Amanda. It reminds me how important our community is. Please let me tell you about our new policy for refugees. You know, like <laughs> if you go somewhere completely different,
0: they're going to really notice
1: it and it does make you look a bit stupid. But I do think that that concept can work. And I think if you can remember the A and the B, you know, the acknowledge and bridge part. And practice that, that will usually help. So people, uh, you know, I encourage people to think about what feels natural for them to say, but something like, I don't immediately know the answer to your question, but what I do know is. And the other thing is, if it's something where your brain just goes, I don't know if they mean that, or do they mean this, or do they mean something else? Because you're kind of not sure. You can say, particularly if it's a really complex question, I don't know, you probably use a bad example, but let's say we're talking about consent in Jehovah's Witness and, you know, some kind of ethical thing. I'm not even sure if those questions come up, but I'm sure there are difficult questions that come up, right? And if it's just like a bit overwhelming because you don't quite know where to start, you can say, rather than saying, you know, that's a very good question, you can say, "Oh, that's a very complex question with really multifactorial ways of looking at it. And then you can say something like, when I think about these questions, I tend to think about it in three areas. And if you can remember that you're going to answer any difficult question with, you know, either that's a very good question or that's a very complex question. When I think about this, I tend to think about three areas. All you have to do after that is think of three headings. Because if your brain goes through um, how old is the patient, what's the procedure and where are they having it done? I mean, this is me not being a surgeon, making up some stupid things. You can say things like, the three things that go through my mind are the patient, the procedure and the geography of where the procedure is occurring. And then if you can put the headlines on your answers, number one, it makes you feel better because you kind of go, oh, good. Yeah, there are three things I could talk about. And then you can say, I'd like to start by talking about and you put out the one that you feel like your brain's now ready to talk about. But if you don't know where to go and you do then just kind of go, "Uh," you've given them a crumb that they can take and respond to. And they can say, oh, okay, I know it's a hard question, but I noticed that you mentioned there are three areas and one of them you mentioned was the procedure. Tell me some of your considerations around the procedure. So, you know, I know everyone says this, it's hard to believe when you're doing the exam, but the examiners really do want you to pass. You know, they really want to help you. And if you give them that little crumb to work with, they might be able to help you get to something that your brain might not have gone to if you just stood there and stared at the wall. I
0: bulldogged last year and I noticed that the examiners were really encouraging and they did mention things and say, oh, you said this, can you tell me more about that? So, they did try to get out of you what you, what you know. So, as long as you have something to start saying, then as you, as you say, maybe that will lead
1: you down the right path. I think it's amazing when you can free your brain up what it can do because the knowledge is in there. You wouldn't be doing the exam if you weren't eligible. So it's going to be some stuff that you don't know and we have to forgive ourselves that. But in many cases, if you can start somewhere and even if you just give the high level headings, the rest of it will flow once the adrenaline sinks away a little bit and that immediate freeze sort of feeling is gone. So I think that it can be a really helpful technique. And again, it's one you have to practice beforehand. It can't just turn up on the day and expect it's going to turn out for you. As a serial fast talker, you might not notice
0: it from the podcast, but I'm very, very bad in stressful situations at just talking, talking, talking. What advice would you give for somebody like me to, uh, to calm down? I've, I've definitely tried the not starting talking immediately and taking a breath and pausing,
1: which I think does help slow me down. Do you have any other tips or advice? Definitely taking a deep breath. And even if it might feel a bit strange, I think that helps. Again, it's about awareness and having in your mind, you know, your little inner coach sitting there going, do you need to talk slower? You know, if you've got a couple of things that you know are your little pitfalls, try and find a way to help have that little bird sitting on your shoulder talking to you and saying, just go a bit more slowly, you know, and that's hard to remember. I think the other thing to do, which is really painful is if you can ever video yourself and watch back, it probably will... Burn in your brain if you work really fast, and uh, and you'll be conscious enough that every time you go to something, you'll think, "I'm not going to do that." But again, put yourself out there, and I talk really fast too. And in fact, the the times when I talk fastest are often when I'm most relaxed, because I feel like when I'm not relaxed, I'm thinking and trying to sound thoughtful, (laughs) which for me means I slow down. So everybody's different, but it has to start with awareness. And it sounds like that's something that you've worked on a lot. And in fact, you found your own way to practice by doing the podcast.
0: Yes, it's definitely uh, been helpful. Having to listen to myself talk quickly makes me more aware that I do Mm. do that. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning, we haven't sort of touched on, I mean, obviously exams are stressful enough as they are and sitting the exam is stressful. But at the moment, there's another layer of stress that everyone's dealing with. The upcoming exam this year, because of the outbreak in Sydney, has just been pushed back a month. It's a stressful time in, in general, but there's added stress at the moment. I'm sure the same thing's happening for the emergency exams. Any advice for people for managing that sort of uncertainty and, you know, timeline
1: changing and your ramp up schedule changing? It's probably the same as the other things we've talked about, which is a lot of it just comes down to acceptance and working out what you can control and where you can trying to develop some level of positive narrative, some kind of, you know, I'm lucky because. It's really interesting. I was talking to a paediatric trainee who's doing her exams this year. And for paediatrics, they had, I mean, we all had this situation last year, but as far as I understand, the paediatric exams this year will be similar to how they were last year. And I was asking her how she felt about it. And she said, I feel really lucky. And I said, wow, how, did, how could you feel lucky? Everyone feels so overwhelmed by this. And she said, well, because we're in lockdown, I've got nothing else to do apart from study anyway. So actually, it's really good timing for me to study because I don't have anything else to do. And because now we are all really good at Zoom, I've got so much more access to training and and webinars and lectures and other training opportunities because I can do them remotely, whereas I would never have been able to be present for them all before. And because the exams were run last year, I feel like at least we're not the first ones who are going into exams who have had to do virtual exams or have their exams messed up by COVID. So all in all, I think I'm pretty lucky. And I was just really blown away. That's just such an impressive mindset. And of course, you know, it's hard to just tell yourself that and believe it. It's There's obviously a lot of challenge and I think it's okay to acknowledge the challenge. But there may be some things that are positives in this situation. Um, and if you can think of that, then that's helpful. But it's also okay just to acknowledge that it's a little bit shit.
0: <laughs> mm. But it's such a powerful mindset to be able to use that and say, actually, I'm just going to focus on the positives. I've felt bad about what's changed and felt bad about these things that are out of my control, but I'm going to choose to focus on these really positive aspects instead. That's amazing.
1: I thought it was really impressive. And I think that that's a sort of mindset that if you have it, you should cultivate it. And if you don't have it, then think about what it can take to help cultivate it and ask other people. That's the other thing I find really interesting is that when I talk to trainees about you know, how are they going to answer a difficult question? Often they say, I don't know, I've never thought about it. And I say, what do other people do? And they say, I don't know, I've never asked them. And then I say, well, do you watch practice exams? Yes. What do you notice other people do? And they stop and think and go, oh, actually, no, you're right. I do notice that they take a deep breath. But it comes back to what we've been saying all along. We're not necessarily very good at talking about this stuff, partly because it's just not what we've done, we just get on with it. But also to some extent, I guess it admits the level of vulnerability. In the medical profession, we're not very good at vulnerability. And for rightly so, we can't have our patients coming in saying, I, you know, can you do this operation? And you say, well, maybe <laughs> I'm not sure. Actually I didn't have a great weekend and I haven't slept very well. You know, we, we have to be strong and confident. And and of course we are confident and competent. But it does mean that we have a tendency to not be able to say, I feel anxious, or I'm not sure, or I need help, or I need to work on my mindset. You know, one of the things about coaching is that some people feel like it's going to get counselling. A lot of people I coach say, do other doctors come and talk Mm -hmm. to you? And I say all the time. And they say, really? (laughs) And so that was the other thing I took away from the Ashbardi uh, podcast was Ben Crow was saying that he feels really privileged to have heard the stories of all these high performing athletes and he shares the stories with each other. And everyone who listens to him talk about other clients says, oh, I feel like I recognize that. And I can't believe other people talk to you about that. And I can't believe I'm not the only one that feels this mm. way. And I do think that's a really important narrative. Like no one doing an exam is the only person who feels anxious. And everybody who does an exam wants to do well. And we need to start talking about how we do it well and how we get our heads straight one thing that he says is if you're in your head, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So, if you're in your head and you've lost it, then you're just never going to come back. So, we need to talk about how do we remain mentally strong as well as have the right skills and capability to get through exams. Mm. And it's funny that we don't
0: really as a profession focus on it because when you think about it, there's so many aspects of our, throughout our entire careers that are based on your performance and based on almost like, a, really a drama performance right from medical school and doing a pretend on your healthy best friend and finding a murmur and talking about how you'll examine the fingers right through to interviews for jobs, which we do every year and getting onto training and our Viva exams. And I guess in a way they're trying to assess our communication and the way that we um, present ourselves, which is important when you're a doctor, but it's funny that we don't put more Importance, or, or talk about that performance side of it um, throughout med school or even afterwards. So it's great. I, I feel like in the last few years, coaches like yourself have becoming more and more uh, visible. I've seen um, a few around, and I think that that's a really positive thing in medicine, that that's becoming more and more prominent.
1: The thing about coaching is it takes you from a good place to a great place. You know, it's not remedial. It's not for people who don't have any insight, don't have any motivation and are poor performers, it's actually helping people just to have an opportunity to work through what's important to them and what their own solutions are going to be and hold you accountable to some extent because you'd say you're going to go and practice something and then you have to come back and tell me whether you practiced it. But it is, it's about, it's really about being better and and finding ways to optimise what you do. And, and that's what we're all here for. So it's great to have a safe space to talk about that. And we should probably talk to each other more about it, I think. And I think that change will come. You asked me at the beginning what my advice to my younger self would be. And that's a hard one. But when it comes to exams... I actually think that I would tell myself that it's a hurdle and it's important and it's a big thing. But at the time, it seems like the biggest and only thing in your whole life. And there are so many other things in your life to come. And some of them will be easy and fun and better. And some of them will be not easy and not much fun and worse. But this is just one step on the way. And It really is important, and I'm not trying to undermine that, but it is not your entirety. It is not who you are, and it is not your entire life and your entire worth, as we were talking about before. So knowing that you can do it and you will get through it, but there is so much more to you and your life than this one exam, I think is really important, especially in this time of uncertainty with COVID where there's so much that we don't know. Focus on the stuff that's outside your exam and and get joy and fulfilment from that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today.
0: I was so excited when I got your email. I think this is something that so many people will get a lot from and that it will resonate with lots of people and um, people who are going through this stressful time and the exam. So I really appreciate you reaching out and making the time to talk to me today.
1: No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much and good luck to everybody who's listening because I know it's tough, but you've got this. Mm -hmm.
0: So as we mentioned, I'll put some links in the show notes to the ABC Conversations podcast we were talking about and also to Dr. Dalton's coaching business in case this has inspired you to seek out a coach for your exam. Once again, if you like what you hear, please rate the podcast. Leave me a review because I love hearing what you all think of the podcast and subscribe to the program because it makes it easier for other people to find it's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at firstincision. Happy studying!